Hey, this is Thinking and Drinking. I'm your host, Bart Almond. Over the last 30 years or so, I've worked for major record companies, working with major artists such as Alabama, the Dixie Chicks, and Florida Georgia Line. I've also been writing songs for the past 15 years, have over 50 cuts, two number ones, and made a lot of friends along the way. I'm going to be talking to some of those friends about songs, life on the road, and just life in general. I hope you have as much fun as I will. Doug Rappaport is a screaming guitar player. Whether it's live, in the studio, or doing his amazingly successful YouTube gear demos, Doug excels at all these and all with a smile on his face. Growing up in England and on America's West Coast, he quickly established himself as one of the premier guitar young guns. He hit the road and he's never looked back. At the end of this interview, he leaves us his social info, so please stick around and take notes because you'll want to get into this guy if you're not already. I'm so thankful we got to hang for a bit, and I think I may have a new friend. Here's Doug Rappaport. Doug Rappaport, thinking and drinking. Welcome to the show, man. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Dude, so what, what's going on in your world? Uh, gosh, my world. Um, well, just trying to sort of navigate the new, uh, new world we're living in with lockdowns and not man. knowing what's going to happen in the future, the uncertainty, just sort of trying to find a way to still be a musician and a guitar player. That's yeah. Basically. Yeah. Man, what a drill, dude. It's, this has been insanity. There's so many musicians and techs and, and technical people and studio cats that are out of work. I've been in the music business here in town for almost 30 years uh, and it's insane how many of my friends are out of business. So it's really, it's really sad, man. Yeah. It's tough. But uh, so you said you grew up in LA, but you were born in Britain, right? Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, my parents are, are South African, actually. Oh wow! And um, after they were married, my father was training to be a doctor, and he went to do his residency in England. And, okay. And shortly after they got there, that's where I was born, and my brother shortly after me. And yeah, so that's that's how I came to be born in England. <laughs> where I probably would have been born in South Africa, but well, so did you move here when you were a baby? Yeah, I was pretty small, pretty young. So, so is there anybody in your family besides you that are musicians? Um, not that I know of. Uh, not no. I mean, there are a lot of musical people in my family. Yeah. But, um, but it's just me. Uh, my daughter's very musical. She's uh, she just turned twelve. And uh, she's got perfect pitch, which I discovered about a month ago, which blew my mind. So she's probably well on her way to being a musician. So other yeah. than that, just- if not a musician, I mean, and I don't mean this in a bad way, she could be singing background vocals for the rest of her life. Yeah, totally. So what got you into music and specifically into the guitar? Um, music. Uh, I just sort of... Um, I'm not really sure. I just was drawn to it right away. I, my earliest memories are when we moved to uh, California uh, from England. I was about five years old and my mom had all her Queen records. And I'm not sure how big Queen was yet. In, maybe they were big in the United States at this time, but, you know, they were huge in England, obviously. So she had all the Queen records and I just I was obsessed with them. And my mother would stand me up on a on a chair and she showed me how to use the record player, how to move the needle to my favorite songs. That's awesome. I would just spend every free moment I had just getting lost in that mystical world of of otherworldliness that was music. So it was Queen in the beginning. Man. And um, then when I was about 10 years old, I heard uh, Back in Black and that was it, man. (laughs) That was it. Dude, you have one of these? What's that? Ah, uh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> it plays like 45 seconds of the song. Dude, it's so badass. That is awesome, dude. I love on, the t- it. on the top, it's got volume and tone knobs and stuff. This is uh, just some freaking promo tchotchke, but man, that new record is awesome. I freaking love it. Oh, okay. I got to get it. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. So good. Oh, good. So how did you go from listening to Queen with 150 tracks to playing guitar? 
and ACDC. I mean, that had to be a little daunting. Yeah. Um, I guess it, I don't know, probably the same way it started. I just, uh, I had a, uh, some sort of connection to the guitar. I can remember, um, being a kid in Santa Monica. I don't know if you've been to Santa Monica, California before. It's very yeah. crowded. But when I was a kid, it was a little sleepy beach town. You know, there was nobody there. We could, we rode our bikes and skateboards uh, all up and down the streets, all over town. It was very safe. And there was just a mo- local music store. And I'd just always drive by it or skate by it or whatever. And I would see the guitars hanging in the wall. And it just had this thing with me. I can't yeah. really describe it. It was just, it was like, oh, oh my God. And <laughs> I just knew on some cellular, cellular level that I had to, I had to, have some yeah. contact with this amazing looking thing in there. And, you know, I, it's just, I knew the sound. My mother played piano, so we had a piano in the house, and I learned the fifths, right? Uh-huh. A B and an E, and, an, and I knew that was a power chord before I knew what a power chord was. And I would just sit there and bang on fifths, you know, because I was like, yes! So it just sort of had to be guitar. Yeah, it's like you were the first metal guitar, uh, piano player around. <laughs> So who were the, who were, or what was your first good guitar then? Did you get a guitar from that music store? Um, no, the first guitar I got was I saved up my pocket money and I went to Sears and I bought uh, an acoustic guitar. It was a small scale acoustic guitar, $31. Nice. And um, I wanted an electric and my parents were like, well, if you learn on this, we'll see about getting you an electric. So I did. I just learned on it. And is that then, like a uh, like a Stella Harmony kind of thing? Uh, I don't remember. Yeah. I, I really don't remember. I lost it at some point. <laughs> but uh, yeah, and it was all just toward the goal of playing an electric guitar, which the, which I did get from that little music store. It was a guitar brand called Westone. Oh yeah, remember those? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely, so, yeah. man. Yeah, I got like a little sort of student model Westone and a crate amp. Oh, dude, I used to have two crates. Yeah, so it was just all, it was on. It was on. So who were you listening to, and, and how were you learning? Did, the, did you take lessons there? Were you just learning by ear, or how would you do it? I did start taking lessons um, at the little store. It was called Santa Monica Music Center. Um, and they were all pro musicians. They were jazz musicians. Okay. You know, all jazz guys, and they really looked down their nose on rock players and and, uh, you know, they were just teaching me to read and kind of phoning it in a little bit and like, okay, here, read this. And I struggle through it. And then I go, all right, teach me this. It would be ACDC or Dio or some killer metal song I heard. And, uh, they would struggle with it, which today blows my mind. Cause you know, they were jazz players, like real cats, but like learning, you know, um, like any rat tunes, any of the 80s stuff, they were just boggled their mind. I remember running with the devil. It was like, he was struggling. I was to get him to show me that he couldn't figure it out. And I'm like, wow, jazz guy. He should have been a piece of cake, but he couldn't do it. But anyway, so I pretty much took the little they gave me and ran with it. Once I learned three or four chords, I just, it was all sitting by the record player and learning. Yeah. yeah from then on. Cause like you're, I think you walk such a cool fine line of sounding like very schooled in chord knowledge and like, I mean, and your rhythm, man, your right hand is just immaculately tight. It blows my mind. But you're also so emotional in some of your solos. I mean, a lot of your solos, I know they're not probably just one take, just going and blowing. But, man, they sound like it. And it's it's just, you just have such a cool best of both worlds kind of thing there. Oh, man, thank you. Appreciate that. Thank you. Unbelievable. So, I mean, I know a couple of the guys that you look up to are uh, like uh, Eric Johnson, who is, yeah, just phenomenal. I wish he's one of those cats I wish would put out about twice as many records as he does. But how do you take something? Because, I mean, and this is a total compliment, but I hear elements of his playing in your playing but you're not, you're not just blatantly stealing from it. So how do you take something that's as signature tone-wise and playing-wise as an Eric Johnson and just make it your own? Mm. That's a good question. I think 
that happens organically. I, I think it, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't think there, I don't think there are many guys who are that great at cloning. I think the more, yeah, more of us are, are, are bad at cloning. There are guys out there who clone really well to the last detail and that's yeah. cool. But, um, I can't, I think I just can't help it sounding like me because it is me. So, right. Right, right, right. Really help it. So how did, uh, Eddie Van Halen's untimely passing affect you? Jesus, dude. It's, it's unbelievable, isn't it? I'm still, I'm still, you know, I, after a few days, another uh, guy who does a podcast asked me to make a short video and I hadn't really processed it. Yeah. And, um, I went to the park just to park in my car, just to, to try to figure out how to make the video. Cause I knew I was going to lose it. And I did, man, I made a video and I was balling the whole time and I sent it to him. And, uh, then I wrote to him later and I was like, please don't put that up. I don't want people seeing me just completely bawling my eyes out like that. So I made another video for him, but man, it, it really, I'll tell you, the only times I've ever cried, like really proper wept for someone who died that I didn't know personally was when Freddie Mercury died. Yeah. When Malcolm Young died, I was inconsolable. And, um, and then when Eddie and still just thinking about it, it's still, you know, I'm still like, you know, raw. I'm still a little bit raw about it. Cause he meant, you know, man, he just meant so much. So dude, so, I, I tried to tell my wife, uh, I said, when Van Halen 1 came out in 70, 77 or 78, yeah, I said, I was a kid. Yeah. So as a guitar player, there's not been a day since then where he hasn't been in my life. Exactly. And it's so weird to know. And also, it's it's like when Dimebag got killed. It's like when freaking... Uh, John Candy died or whoever. It's like, why didn't you do more? Why didn't you put out more records? Why didn't you record more stuff? You know, and and you just go, eh, it is what it is, man. Yeah. But, totally. and also those kind of bands that are of that age, they didn't have video crews on the road with them and stuff, man. There's, you know, comparatively, there's so little video of, of Van Halen, which sucks. Totally. But, yeah, man. I tell you, when I uh, when I get run out of ideas as a player, I always go back to what I call the five Steves, which are <laughs> Steve Vai, Steve Stevens, Steve Lukather, Steve Morse, and Stevie Ray Vaughan. Yeah, <laughs> dude. And the five Steves always always have something to give me. <laughs> yeah, man, that's good. I like that. Five Steves. <laughs> the five Steves. Like that burger. What's that burger restaurant? Five Guys. What's it five called? Five Guys. Oh yeah, the Five Guys. Yeah. Same thing, but for guitar. Good. <laughs> exactly. I love it. <laughs> Great. So when you were were growing up, did you hop into bands right away, or did you stay in your bedroom, or What'd you do? Um, I didn't get to play. Oddly enough, um, I always went to small schools. I went to small private schools and alternative hippie weird schools when I was a kid. So there weren't a lot of other kids playing guitar. I was on my own. Um, mm-hmm. So I didn't get to play in many bands until after I finished high school. And in high school, I didn't really play in any bands because I, because of all the weird schools I went to as a little kid. I ended up going to a boarding school up here in Oregon mm. um, to get my academics together. And I, I, I gave up, you know, a good three and a half years of guitar playing. I, I, I made a decision to concentrate on getting some sort of education, getting my literacy together because it was in such bad shape. So I made a conscious decision to step away from music effectively right. uh, for three years or three and a half years. So I wasn't in any bands there other than high school jazz band, which you know, whatever. Yeah. But after I graduated, yeah, I hit the scene as hard and as fast as I could. Was that mostly cover bands or were you writing stuff? Um, yeah, everything, anything. Yeah. I was always, we had a, a trade paper in LA. I don't remember what it was, Music Connection. Okay. Yeah, and um, they even had like a paid, like you could go to their office in Hollywood and you could pay them a little extra money and they'd give you extra special listings, you know. <laughs> Bullshit. But, uh, 
yeah, I was constantly getting into bands and going to clubs and seeing other bands. And yeah, it was just original bands. And it was a weird time because, you know, when I finished high school, it was, I was already pretty in, into the grunge. We were in the first phase of the grunge era, you know what yeah. I'm saying? Like Soundgarden, all these guys were really big. And I had, I was in LA and LA was lagging behind. So I was joining bands with guys who were 10 years older than me who were still hanging on to the hair metal. And I was right. like, no, we got to do this. And I'm showing him <laughs> Alice in Chains. And it's like, so it was kind of a weird time. They still wanted to play docking. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> 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 Which is still fun, I got to say. Oh, yeah. oh I, I love think. it. That's where I come from, for sure. <sighs> so everybody knows you've played with Edgar Winter for a long time. How, how, did, how did that come about? Um, well, I was uh, well, kind of dumb luck in a way. I was working in Beverly Hills, uh, you know, in an um, Asian art gallery. And it was an auction house as well. Okay. So. The owner of the auction house loved to sing. He fancied himself a crooner and because he was a pretty wealthy guy. He wanted to make an album singing like old, you know, old jazz standards. And so my job was to take the band and go pick up the engineer. Um, who was a guy named Jeff Warrell, who was the front of house guy for tons of people. But at that time, he was the front of house for America. And cool. so I help him lug his stuff around and help him set up his studio to record. And we just became buddies. And I, I slipped him a demo tape, uh, a CD that I had. And he really liked it. And he showed it to his kid who was like 13 at the time. And the kid thought it was awesome. So he, he was like, well, if the kid digs it, then it's got to be cool. Yeah. So, and at that time, Edgar sort of put out the word. It's like, I'm looking for a new guitar player. And he'd already found somebody, but then Jeff called him and said, I think you got to listen to this guy. So Edgar said, well, I already got somebody, but okay. <laughs> so, you know, I had, you, all I had, all I had was like one guitar and a crappy practice amp. And I got in the car and he invited me to his house. Edgar called me, invited me to his house and we hung out. I played guitar for him and uh, that was it. He gave me the gig. So, so that was that was the audition. You just plugging and playing out there in the living room with him. Yeah, he just you know first he'd go, I'm going to sing some lines, and you copy me. Oh, okay. And so he'd sing lines, and I, you know, they were all blues stuff, and yeah, I, you know, I'm a rocker, so I'm well versed in the blues licks. So yeah. I caught pretty much everything he did. And then he'd like play a track and go, okay, here's a song. Let me hear you solo. You know, it was uh, he put me through the ringer for sure. So how old were you when this happened? Oh, gosh. I don't know. 27, 28. Oh, okay. So you've been playing a while. You had your confidence up. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I'd been playing around the scene for a long time. So then what was your first gig with Edgar Winter? First gig was we were doing this uh, biker fest. He, he, the bikers love Edgar, but the, we have two kinds of bikers. You got corporate bikers and you got the real deal. <laughs> hardcore guys and they both love Edgar so the first gig was a, a a corporate tour okay we were playing sort of um convention centers and stuff corporate biker events so that was my first gig and he was like we're recording this so uh good luck he recorded your first gig yeah so yeah <laughs> yeah he took a chance on me you know I wasn't that yeah. see all the guys in his band were you know quite a bit older than me I was the youngest by far and they were all really well experienced, including Chris Frazier, you know, Steve Vai's drummer. Oh, yeah. Beginning years. He was the drummer. So there were seasoned cats in there. And I was sort of this young dude that kind of showed up with not a whole lot of touring experience. So he was like, he took a chance on me and he let me know the pressure was on and he expected me to rise to the occasion. So, man. Yeah. So um, you played with Edgar, whose brother Johnny, God rest his soul, is one of my favorites. And yeah. you also and you also played with Rick Derringer. Yeah. Pretty amazing. Yeah. Really cool. So what what do you do in a band with Rick Derringer? Who's he's a great guitar player in his own right, but mm. I mean what does I don't mean this in a rude way, but what what are you what are you there for? Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> um just to play rhythm and just okay. to, to bounce solos back. He he's very generous and he's you know 
send some solos my way and stuff. And, uh, you know, I mean, he's had it before. Neil Gerardo was his guitar yeah. player. Um, so, yeah, just that, just uh, being in a supportive role, which is no, no problem for me at all. Yeah, yeah. So when you go out with Edgar, like what gear are you taking nowadays? Are you, are you flying everything? Is it all rented backline and stuff? Yeah, it's rented backline. I, I usually ask for, well, I do. I ask for uh, JCM 2000s. Okay. I ask for cabinets loaded with V30s if possible, but that never happens. Um, unless I'm really lucky. And then I take a small pedal board here. I'll show you. I okay. mean, this is all audio, right? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, something like this. Well, here, I'll just show you this. It's just too much crap all over. This is my main drive. I just put that in front. Okay. And then a delay in the loop. Okay. Wait, what brand is that? That is um, J Rocket. Oh, okay. It's the Guthrie Trap Signature Pedal. Oh, okay. Just killer. Yeah. It's so good. And that I can pretty much do without a delay pedal. I'm, I'm, I'm set. So it's usually just something like that. Or I'll bring a phase 90 for fun, you know, Dang. so just a pedal board and, and one of my guitars and that's all I go with. So you don't take a camper, a fractal or anything out of that. No, I did tour with the camper for a couple of years, but that's only because I went on in-ears and to me, a mic'd up guitar cab with overdrive in the in-ears is the worst sound you could possibly imagine. <laughs> it's on, it's totally unworkable. It's like you spend all this time dialing in your tone and get everything right. And then just have it sound like a pig nose with all yeah. the bass gone. It's just why, you know? Yeah. So I was just really looking for a way that I could use the in-ears and not have my entire performance completely destroyed because it sounds so bad and the Kemper was a good solution. So you're such a tone guy that even if you, even if you know the front of house guy's got your tone and it sounds great, if it's not good in here, it's not happening. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I've always thought, yeah. And it affects your playing. Totally. And, and I'm, and I'm ashamed to say it. Um, I mentioned I was frustrated. And I mentioned something on Facebook where I'm rarely on anymore, but it was like, how is it that I can be in my room and have my amp set up and pick up a guitar and just play totally how I want to play. Then I go out to a, a gig the next night and I plug in and all of a sudden it's like, I just learned guitar a month ago. And it's just, it's because man, it's, I know how to get my sounds in my room and my gear. Yeah. And when even something's just slightly off. It's too, too harsh or, you know, I can get through a show, no problem, but it's not fun for me. And I don't yeah. feel like I play very well. My tone's not right. So mm. yeah, I'll admit it. I need to have good tone. Otherwise I'm useless. <laughs> <laughs> hey man, tone is, tone is fun. Yeah. I like it. So you do so many of these awesome product demos. In fact, I think your YouTube channel has 53 videos on it right now. And a lot, lot of them are demos, and a lot of them are just killer amps. And so, how do you decide what you'll demo and what you won't demo? Um, I haven't found anything I won't demo yet. Oh, okay. I have that were challenging. Um, but I've managed so far to figure out a way to 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 get the best out of it and do something that I'm pleased with. I haven't yet found something where I've said no. So fingers crossed that doesn't happen, but I have had challenging pieces before for sure. Yeah, I bet. So I do, I do notice on your videos, which by the way, the new studio and stuff looks awesome. Awesome. So congrats on that, man. So sitting on your desk, you do have a camper there. It's always glowing in the dark there. What, I mean, are you still using that when you're making your own demos or when you're writing or anything, or what is that doing there? Um, it's not really doing anything anymore. I, I like it. It sounds great. There is a feel thing that I have trouble with now, but since I got the aux, the universal audio aux, yeah, I just use that 
instead. I just like it better. Well, I was going to ask you that because on even on through my stupid phone, your tone is huge primarily. And so I was going to ask you, are you going through the ox or are you recording a 412 in a closet somewhere? Because it really sounds like you're moving a lot of air. I know a lot of guys in town with the COVID stuff and everybody's doing sessions from their houses and stuff. Everybody's using the ox, man. That really seems to be taking the, the rig range by storm. Yeah. I am using it. Uh, I haven't mic'd up a cab, you know, since my neighbor complained to me. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Until I can figure out some kind of ISO booth somewhere in my house. But uh, the aux has just been an absolute dream. So, yeah, Yeah. the math sounds, it's all the aux, I guess. Yeah, I got a uh, a fractal as a thank you gift from a band that I was working with. Because my neighbor didn't complain, but my wife did. And it's like, oh, yeah, this is your house, too, isn't it? And, man, I tell you what, most people, you shut your eyes, and that fractal sounds just as good. Most people. I mean, there's obviously a lot of people see or hear with their eyes. But, man, I think the fractal and the and the uh, camper both, to me, are just wonderful pieces of gear if, if that's the application you need. No doubt. No, for me, it's... Um I love the sound of the camper. And I remember when I was touring uh, about three years ago, it was Edgar, Alice Cooper, and Deep Purple. And we did this tour, a three-week tour around the country. And I had the camper. And they were breaking my balls, man. They were just like, oh, look, oh, oh you're afraid of tubes. I mean, it was just a real, every night taking the piss out of me. And then uh, by the end of the tour, they were like, oh, God, do you think I could get a deal on that? You know, and then <laughs> some of them actually ended up getting the camper and touring with it because they really, they were blown away at how good it sounded, you know? Yeah. Out of the house, sound guys lose their mind. Like, oh, the stereo imaging, oh, my God. So it's, uh, it sounds killer. This stuff I mean, sounds really good. But for me, it's a feel thing. The feel is yeah. not quite right there for me. So. The funny thing to me is the the rig rundowns, mm. you know, used to go from nine Marshall heads and 14 cabinets and two whole refrigerator racks. And now it's like one 12 space rack with two campers or two fractals. And you go, okay, you want to go look at guitars? They're over here. <laughs> it's, like, yeah. it's not as much fun as it used to be. Not really. But so man, you also, you just seem to be so prolific when you're demoing stuff all the channels of every amp, all pickups of every guitars and stuff. Are you writing songs for each of those applications or are you, do you stockpile riffs? Cause you seem to be the riff master. You never run out of riffs. So, I mean, are you, do you just have a catalog of stuff? No, I write, um, for each piece. I, I spend time with the piece the mm-hmm. year and you know how it is, man. You plug in and you start, if you get a great sound, you start to riff. Yeah. Oh, that's just really how it goes. It's very organic and very, uh, you know, I I like that I have good gear. I know how to use it so I can get, I can lay down a riff idea quickly and double it, you know, get some stereo imaging and go, yeah, that sounds killer. Or, you know, there have been some things where I've done a whole thing and I've just gone, this is crap. I can't stand it. And I start from scratch again, but it really is, in the moment with that gear going with the sounds that I think most uh, make that piece of gear shine the best. Yeah. And it's just, um, it's funny, you know, because I I have one solo album I put out, I don't know, I don't know, maybe 15 years ago now. Bionic. Yeah. Bionic. And that's it, man. That's all I've done. And I've been getting nagged by people for so many years to do something else. And I just, I mean, to your point, your kind words about my being prolific, I'm just, I can't write, you know what I mean? It's, it's <laughs> writing songs for an album for me is just torturous. I just can't do it. But if I'm writing for somebody else, if I'm writing for an amp or a pedal, I can, you know, riff, 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 riff all day. Yeah. You know? But for me, forget it, man. I can't do it. <laughs> Total writer's block. What do I do? So. Well, you should just take all those demos and make a record out of it. Yeah, because the production's great. On, I mean, I don't know, replace the drums or whatever you want. I was going to tell you, man. I went to uh, Amazon yesterday to look up Bionic. There's one 
and it, they want $969 for it. What? <laughs> no. Come That's on. What it says. Wow. I thought that is indeed a camel toe rodeo right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. I hope it gets. Yeah. No, I, so I bought it. It's cool. No, I didn't. <laughs> so, um, like, seriously, what uh, do, are you writing or practicing every day? Do you, do you ever play just for enjoyment or are you always testing gear? You're always testing everything. I mean, do you sit on the couch and play unplugged while you're watching the football game or something? No, um, I don't really. I, I don't play that much. Yeah. I really don't. Um, maybe half an hour a day, you know, I'll plug in and. It's just been kind of tough lately. I'll be honest with you. It's just like I haven't been feeling that inspired to play. So I go through moments. I'll go through like two or three days where I'm just having so much fun. You know, after after Ed passed, I spent you know several days just you know playing guitar, Van Halen songs, of course, and yeah, just just really immersing myself in all that beautiful music of his. Um, but you know, I I'm starting to you know, learn, try and focus on learning things. I want to learn some bluegrass guitar. Uh, I've been reading Rick Beato's book, you know, oh, yeah. more knowledge. He's such a genius. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I got my acoustic here, which I took out. It's been sitting in the garage forever. So I don't know. Now to answer your question, not, I haven't been playing much. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, now that Tony Rice just passed away, there's a great place to start. There you go. Sure. I've got a uh, Santa Cruz Tony Rice sitting right oh, there. Oh, sweet! I started working with Santa Cruz a couple of years ago. I love those, love those guys. But oh, okay, great. Yeah, but no, I know exactly what you feel because as a as a songwriter, I was writing 125 to 150 songs a year, mm. and I would come home and my wife Amy, she goes, "How come you never play guitar when you're at home?" And I go, "Why doesn't a carpenter come home and pound nails?" <laughs> I said, sometimes at the end of the day, that guitar just feels like a tool. It doesn't feel like there's any inspiration there. Yeah, true. Man, that that uh, Rush Spirit of the Radio thing you guys just did is <laughs> awesome. Oh, man, thank you. And who's the, who is the singer? I don't know who that is. Ah, uh, okay. That's my boy, Stephen McSwain. He, um, I met him in Portland as soon as I got to Oregon. I got put in touch with Kelly Lemieux, who's the bass player for Buck Cherry. Oh, okay. Because their guitar tech, um, I met him on the road. He was Joe Bonamassa's guitar tech back then, Dave Pate. Oh. And uh, he and I became buddies and stayed in touch. And then I mentioned him. I was moving to Oregon. He goes, you got to call Kelly, you know, Buck Cherry. And I did. And within two weeks of moving up here, Kelly and I got together and jammed. And we put together an ACDC band. And he called Stephen McSwain who was a guitar luthier. He's a builder. He builds guitars, McSwain guitars up in Portland. Wow. He also just moved up from California and we got together and he sang Bon Scott, like, you know, effortlessly. And I was like, we were like, Oh my God, we got to do something. So we threw a band together and just started gigging around Portland for fun. Just ACDC, B-side ACDC, Bon Scott era, you know? Yeah. 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 So it was just a blast. So he and our buds and, he actually saw me, Stephen McSwain, because shortly after I got here, Steve Vai came into town. He invited me to come sit in. Wow. And uh, yeah, so I got up on stage and played with Steve Vai, which is probably the most nerve-wracking thing I've ever <laughs> yeah. done in my life. That's what I was going to ask. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> oh, my Lord. Whew. Anyway, Stephen saw me there, and he actually reached out to me. From, he found me on the internet just to introduce himself to me, so... That's who he is. So, and those two other guys in the band are his buddies from North Carolina. Man, you know, like they, they just asked me random. Hey, when you do you want to do this? Like, yeah, sure. We'll lock down. Let's do something fun. I'm sure Steve I looks at you and goes, uh, "This is in uh, B flat, not A sharp, but it's in B flat." Oh. Yeah. Okay. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> it was nerve wracking, brother. I ain't gonna lie. You remember what you played? Um. No. I. I remember, I just remember I was in the audience watching him shred for two hours, just absolutely killing. 
And I'm backstage, then I go backstage and he's like, you got to hear this guy. He's this, he's that. Oh my God, you're going to love him. You got to hear him. You got to hear him. And I'm like, you've been shredding for two yeah. and a half hours. Dude, shut up. Back there just sort of <laughs> trying to warm up and I got to come out there and rip, you know? So uh, I, we did something in D and I don't even remember. We're going to play uh, the uni- unisong or un- unison on the attitude song. Are you ready for that? Yeah, exactly. No, no, I'm not. And big props to Dave Weiner, man. That's, he's an old friend of mine. He's just, he's a guitar player, man. And he, he does all that shit. He unisons all that, harmonizes, yeah. runs over to a keyboard. He's Dude, a that guy player. is so underrated. It's like, that's a, that's a tall shadow to be in, man. And oh, for yeah. a long time. And he's, yeah, yeah he's a stonking guitar player. Yeah, he's a stud, man. That's my boy. So, um, what have you been doing mostly like family stuff besides having crab leg eating competitions with your son? I mean, are you guys <laughs> are you guys getting out and riding bikes or walking dogs or what are you doing? Uh, well, I do have a dog I walk once in a while, but it's been a pretty like a, a stay staycation. Yeah, know? my son is um, he's seventeen, so he's sort of uh, applying to colleges and and getting all that stuff together, so he's been spending his vacation doing that. So he sort of studies and does papers and things during the day, and then uh, you know we have a nice meal together, and then we watch a movie, and then repeat the next day. So it's been just you know yeah. just hanging out. It's been really really nice. <laughs> yeah, if there was ever a guy that was built for quarantine, it's this guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So if you can tell me again, without divulging anything, are you hearing anything from managers and agents and everything about, I mean, is every, cause I'm hearing my rock and roll buddies are all telling me they're planning on 2022. Oh, wow. Are you hearing anything? Um, I am hearing rumblings. Uh, I mean, I know people who are, who are getting ready to go out after March or April or somewhere in there. Really? Yeah. But you know, plans change. So yeah. I don't know what's going to happen. Man. I don't know what, what's no one really knows, but I think people should be planning on trying to do something next year. Man, 2022. Ugh. Dude, I know it. Can't I would, it. I'm almost willing to wear a hazmat suit to go see some live music. Yeah. But it was really interesting. Um, Dave Rude from Tesla is one of my best buddies in the world. And he said, you know, the thing about touring, he goes, we can move our show into the Ryman or into any other, you know, 1500 to 2500 seat theater. But he said, if you're Metallica or Ozzy or ACDC or whoever, he goes, you can't take that show into a theater. He says, I don't know what those guys are going to do. Yeah. I really don't know. I mean, I know like, um, we got to do some of these rock and roll cruises that are oh, all yeah. hugely popular and they sell out like immediately. And yeah. from what I heard, uh, they're already booked. I mean, for next year, I mean, this year for 2021, they're, they're booked. Hmm. So, I mean, that's a, that's a, a cruise ship. So, yeah. Well, I guess get your, va- get your vaccine and, and get your insurance up to date and let's go cruising. <laughs> well, dude uh, do you want to take my lightning round real quick yeah this is just i'm just going to ask you a question and just give me the first thing off the top of your head if you can so what's your favorite book uh parasitic mind oh nice are you a bath or a shower guy shower okay what's the last gift you gave someone Uh, I got my wife some uh, earbuds for her iPhone. Nice. Earbuds. Nice. What was the first concert you saw? How old were you? And did you get a t-shirt? Blues Brothers, eight, seven, really young. And no, I didn't get a t-shirt. <laughs> like John Belushi, Blues yeah. Brothers, Dan Ak- really? Yeah. Dang. Where was that? I mean, obviously, 
Might have been the Hollywood Bowl. Okay. If money was no object, what guitar would you buy? Off the top of my head, a uh, vintage Gibson SG. Oh, an SG? Yeah. Like a 61 or something? Something like that. A real one with the vibrato arm on it, yeah. The side-to-side one? You know, whatever the, the, the cool-looking one is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you would take that over like a 59 Les Paul or something? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's just off the top of my head when you said that. That's what popped <clears throat> in my head. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what's your favorite TV show to binge? Have you been doing that? Favorite TV show to what? To binge watch. Binge watch. Um, I just finished binge watching Fauda. It's on Netflix. What's it called? Fauda. It's an Israeli uh, series. Wow, Three, okay. F-A-U-D-A. It's fantastic. All right. Yeah. I will get us started on that. Yeah. What's your favorite song that you wrote or sang on? I know that's impossible, isn't it? Um, God, I can't. I know the song on my head, and I can't think of the name of it. What did I call it? Hang on, let me look. <laughs> Sorry, that's how completely disconnected from my own music I am. Hey, man, I had uh, I've had hit records fifteen years ago, and if you put a gun to my head, I couldn't play them right now. So really? Oh yeah. Chopper. That's it. The song I did called Chopper. Oh, okay. I like that one, and I, I like how I sang on it. Wait, that's on Bionic, correct? Yes. Yeah, okay. I think it's song one, if I remember correctly. What song do you wish you would have written or sang on? And that could be anything. I mean, it could be Amazing Grace or the National Anthem or You Really Got Me or... Yeah. Um... Oh, gosh, I have no idea. Um, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I can't think of one up top. That's too many. Yeah, no doubt. Too many. So what would you be doing if you weren't doing this? Um, I love carpentry. I love woodwork. Probably something along those lines. Cool. Yeah. So you'd come home and pound nails. I'd come home and pound nails. <laughs> Are you are you listening to anything for fun these days? Um, I really um, I don't listen to a lot of music because I spend too much time on YouTube. Uh, yeah, but when I do listen to the stuff that excites me that I really enjoy is these these kids doing what they're doing with the metal, the gent stuff, you know, periphery, and these guys. Uh, man, oh my to- god, Tosin Abasi and all those. Man. Yeah, just unreal. I just love it. It's exciting. It's phenomenal. It's innovative. It's absolutely killer. So I really dig that stuff. Yeah. It's it's very intimidating to me. And also, I'm such a melody guy that sometimes I, I, I really struggle to find melody in some of that music. And then the other half of me says, well, maybe I'm not supposed to find melody in that music. Uh-huh. And I almost get confused by it. <laughs> yeah. I hear what you're saying. I'm kind of, um, you know, one of the, another problem I have with being a songwriter um, is lyrics. I'm a terrible lyricist, and that's because I never focused on that. Yeah. I've been so guitar-focused. I even used to say, like, I don't consider myself a musician. I'm a guitar player. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like I don't care about anything else. I really... Yeah. And I really missed out on the art of, of songwriting. Like, I, songwriters, I have so much admiration. It's such an incredible art. And I, I regret so much that I didn't take more time mm. to really learn to understand and appreciate it and, and learn how to do it in a way that I, I would like to do it, which I'm so far away from being able to do. But I've just been so guitar-centric that it really yeah. doesn't matter to me what's going on melodically or vocally. I mean, there's... I've listened to Back in Black, the whole album, back to back. And for those, all the ACDs, even the Van Halen stuff, a zillion times. And I can probably recite maybe 40% of the lyrics. The rest, I really don't know. (laughs) 
You got more lyrics in you than you know. I guarantee you, if you spent a week in Nashville just co-writing with a bunch of cats, you'd be you'd be spewing Neil Peart poetry at ah. the end of the day, man. Nice. So what's next for you? Um, I don't know. I feel sort of on like I'm uh I feel sort of like I'm a latecomer on a new frontier. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I feel like the future of what I was doing is really uncertain. I think there's a lot of exciting things happening on the internet and I don't really know how to or where to go with that. Yeah. Like it needs to be in that direction. So I'm a little bit like, you know, I mean, if these, if, if a girl can have, you know, huge boobs and (laughs) play a little guitar and get 30 million views and then earn a really good living off, I mean, there's gotta be something I can do, you know, I don't know. You got to get some nice boobs. Get some boobs. That's what I'm saying. Get some boobs. So, um, I forgot to ask you about your your amazing Nags guitars. Yeah. And and just how that partnership came about because, man, I just think those guys are making some of the most beautiful guitars in the world and they sound freaking awesome. And how how did the uh, the progression go with that? Well, what happened was I I had been touring with the Les Paul for I don't know fifteen years or more, and you know I had approached them. It's kind of a weird thing. I used to try, I would try and approach them and go, hey, you know, I got this tour coming up, and you know, I had these buddies in LA, and they were sending 335s and all these Les Pauls and flying Vs to these guys. And I was like, hey, you know, how about a little, uh, you know, a little love? And they were like, yeah, well, we can send you to studio. It's a $100 guitar from Korea. We'll let you have that for a couple of weeks. And I was like, you know what? Whatever. And um, I don't know. I think word got out, but I was contacted by a guy, and he was like, you know what? I'm going to get you to put your Les Paul down. And I was like, no, you're not. Right. And he said, well, I'm going to send you some guitars and I'm going to make you put that Les Paul down. And I was like, oh, good luck. And he sent me a guitar from this company and I'd try it out. I'd go, oh, that's cool. And I'd send it back. And he'd send me another one. And I'd go, that's cool. And I'd send it back. And then he sent me the Nags. And uh, I picked it up. I played it. And I was like, ah, oh. Hey, now. Hey, now. <laughs> There's something going on here. And I plugged it in. And I was like, oh snap i mean it had that funky bridge on there yeah i was like wow and it stayed in tune you know my les paul never stayed in tune i got to the point where every time i played chords that had the d string in it i bend it a little i'd actually trained my body to bend my d string a little to keep it intonated properly so when i started playing the nags i had to unlearn that right weird because <laughs> it stayed in tune. Uh, so, yeah, so that was it. I just, you know, uh, they love me. I love them. We uh, we just had a partnership over several years, and I played yeah. their guitars, and they did me the great honor of giving me a signature model. So, Dude, I love it. That You're talking about that funky little bridge. The first yeah. time I saw it, I think it was YouTube, you playing it live, and I kept – like squinting, going like, is that a freaking Bigsby that the bar fell off or something? Or what am I looking at? And then I finally saw a picture of it. It's like, oh, that is so cool because it's kind of retro vintage, but it's also just so hip and, and awesome. And it's got that freaking kill switch on it and everything. It's like, I love that guitar. Cool. Thank you. Yeah. Great stuff. They're amazing. So not to jump subjects again, but did you hear that uh, Gibson bought Mesa Boogie? No. Yeah. I read it about an hour ago. No kidding. <laughs> and I guess uh, Randall's going to be like the head of amp design over the whole thing because Gibson doesn't have an amp line anymore. So they oh, just decided, yeah. So that's kind of interesting little little turn there. When did that happen? Well, I just read it today. So I don't, I don't know. I guess I mean I'm sure something like that's been in the works for a long time, but I don't know. Guitar uh, weirdness. I mean, is it still going to be Mesa Boogie? Just I think so. Yeah, I don't. Man, I don't know. I would assume it will be. I mean, you couldn't give that name up. Are you kidding me? Right. But 
I don't know. So anyway, do you want to say what your socials are, how folks can get a hold of you? Sure. Um, uh, I'm not really on Facebook much, but I'm on Instagram, and that's just Doug underscore Rappaport. Nice. Uh, all lowercase. And then where else am I? Uh, YouTube. If you, if I'd love it if people would go subscribe to that because you know that's yeah possible source of income. If I can get some, you know, if I can get some uh, subscribership going on that, that could you know, help me out a little bit. So I'd appreciate anybody going on there and, you know, subscribing and I'll, I'm really into getting a lot more content up there as soon as possible. So I'd love to interact with people, you know, so, if, you know, anyone wants to, you know, they can dougrapport.com. They can contact me through there. Cool. You know? Yeah. Yeah, man, your videos. I mean, I see all the cameras and, everything back behind your videos are looking, I mean, they just look really polished and professional, man. I mean, you're doing a great job. I think. Thank you, Bart. I appreciate that. That's awesome. Well, if I can here, you need to come to Nashville. Yeah. And play some of these guys. Oh man. You got to hit me to these acoustics, dude. I'm so in the dark on acoustic guitar. I just love the way they sound, man. I just, yeah. What do you love? What do you recommend? What's man, I love Santa Cruz. They're they're not cheap, as we all know. They're they're proud of their guitars. Uh, callings are amazing. I mean, I've got these. My best friends in the some of the best friends in the world are out in Kansas. Uh, Triggs, T R I G G S, and Jim Triggs used to run the Gibson Custom Shop and makes unbelievable guitars. I just found a 1964 Gibson Country Western that blows me away, and I'm playing the crap out of that. But, man, yeah, it's just, you know, crap, you can't, it's hard to go wrong with a, with a good, good brand of guitar, you know? Yeah, you like the Martins, like all those, the staples, like those guys? Yeah, I've got a 59 D18. I love that. I'd love to have a vintage D28, but they're... 40 grand or you know <laughs> yeah. i probably won't be doing that but yeah man the the new stuff they're building is phenomenal it's really phenomenal and i gotta think with the change in ownership in gibson i mean i know the electrics are spanking good right now so i gotta believe that the acoustics are gonna go up a notch too and i think their acoustics are phenomenal too gibson acoustics okay yeah so Dude, thank you so much, man. Hey, thank you, Bart. That was fun. Absolutely. And uh, seriously, man, if you ever come to Nashville, love to hook up and go do something. For sure. That'd be great, man. Awesome, man. Thank you, Doug. All right. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.